Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome everyone to Hallway Conversations on Epilepsy.com. My name is Dr. Joe Servan, Editor-in-Chief of Epilepsy.com. And today I'm excited. It's September 15th. It's a Tuesday. And we're going to be talking about a topic that we, we've certainly covered a bit, but this is always exciting when we get a chance to uh, talk to very uh, good friends of, of this particular podcast, as well as the Epilepsy.com and Epilepsy Foundation family, about a very important topic that uh, has gotten a lot of uh, recent discussion, if you will. Uh, we're going to be talking about cannabis for epilepsy. Our guests today are Dr. Oren Davinsky and Dr. Daniel Friedman, both well-known uh, to this podcast and also uh, to the Epilepsy Foundation. And uh, I'm, they just recently had this terrific review article published on this topic entitled Cannabinoids in the Treatment of Epilepsy in the September 10th issue of the New England Journal of Medicine. So I wanted to kind of have them share with us some of those important points that they place in this great article. And uh, gentlemen, welcome you, to you both today uh, to our uh, conversation. It's good to talk to you, Jeff. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure to talk to you both. Well, let's get started. Even though I know we have had uh, previous interviews and discussions on other topics, I'll, I'll start with each of you, and, and uh, I'll start with Oren. Can you, just for our audience, uh, just share with us your current work in epilepsy and, in particular, your role in the field? I've been a clinical epilepsy doctor for about 25 years and have had diverse interests from quality of life studies to cognitive and behavioral neurology to surgical work, and more recently have focused on sudden death and epilepsy, and have also been very interested in cannabinoid therapy. Uh, and Go ahead, and I, I, I've, uh, I've been an adult epileptologist uh, now for uh, over five or six years, and my interests are, you know, the treatment of, of drug-resistant epilepsy and the consequences of drug-resistant epilepsy. So I, too, am all interested in... Uh, mortality in epilepsy and sudden death in epilepsy, and also uh, methods to develop better therapies uh, for epilepsy. Well, I appreciate both, and I know you've both talked on, on these other topics, uh, so we're just happy to have you here. I'll start off by once again congratulating you both, but we'll get right into the, to the meat of this. Uh, Dan, just for the audience, what are cannabinoids? What, what is that? So cannabinoids are a family of molecules uh, that are found in uh, cannabis plants, and they're, uh, they're a family of 21 carbon uh, molecules that have a very similar uh, chemical structure, uh, and, um, and they're metabolites. Uh, there are over uh, 80 different cannabinoid types uh, that have been found in cannabis plants, but they're, they're just one type of biologically active compound that can be derived from cannabis, and there are other compounds as well that we know a lot less about. I know we, uh, we just, go ahead, please. No, and so, and, uh, you know, some of these uh, exert biological effects, and in, in about now, almost 20 years ago, uh, we found, uh, the scientists found an endogenous uh, signaling system in the brain 
uh, where some of these cannabinoids bind and exert uh, influence in the nervous system. I see. So, so there's something already that we're already programmed in in a way to respond to. Orin, uh, who or how did someone find that cannabis might work for seizures? So the possibility that cannabis is an anti-seizure medication may go back as far as 1800 years BCE in Samaria from some potential comments and texts. But, you know, it's been definitely used in, in classical periods in the Mediterranean in Greece and Rome. Uh, and then certainly more recently in the 19th century in England, Gowers has nicely described detailed case reports uh, and Russell Reynolds, his predecessor in England. So it's been around for 150 years in, in Western medicine, but it's really all been anecdotal. And until we get the results of our first double-blind study, hopefully in three <laughs> or four months, it'll, it remains anecdotal. Uh, a very, very, very important point, as we'll get into it in a moment, but thank you. Uh, Dan, uh, you mentioned the endogenous uh, cannabinoid uh, receptor system. Uh, what do we know now, or currently know, about the use of these compounds for seizures? So, uh, you know, even before we we understood the mechanisms of the uh the body's own cannabinoid system there have been there have been animal studies uh that have shown efficacy of of cannabinoids such as uh THC uh or cannabidiol which is sort of the predominant non-psychoactive uh uh cannabinoid uh and in in animal models uh these uh, uh these cannabinoids have shown some efficacy against uh evoked seizures so in various species, um, it seems that uh, that engaging the cannabinoid system has effect on seizures. It's seen in the preclinical studies, uh, looks like cannabidiol, which is again the non-psychoactive uh, form, uh, is uh, predominantly uh, anti uh, has anti-seizure properties in almost all the studies uh, and, uh, that it's been examined in. Uh, in various models, uh, THC and uh, and analogs that that act that uh, that activate the the CB uh, the CB1 receptor the uh, the, um, cana- uh, the endogenous cannabinoid receptor in the central nervous system uh, has a for, uh, more of a mixed picture. Whereas some studies have shown anti seizure effects, other studies have shown no effects on seizures, and, and a minority of studies have shown that they actually exacerbate seizures in animal models. The clinical evidence is, uh, is uh, as Orrin mentioned, pretty weak. So, um, you know, there have been anecdotes, case reports, case series of uh, people uh, who have been described as improving with chronic uh, cannabis use, uh, often um, smoked, but sometimes uh, in other forms. Uh, there have been uh, a few uh, methodologically flawed small studies that have examined uh, isolated cannabinoids, such as THC uh, or CBD, cannabidiol, uh, uh, for use in people with seizures, and and the results have been um, sort of inconclusive at best. And uh, so the human evidence is, is... still lacking. There's um, uh, perhaps the largest 
uh, experience is recent. We uh, we recently uh, participated in a multi-center open-label study of uh, a, cannab uh, a pure cannabidiol called Epidiolex, uh, made by GW Pharmaceuticals. And this is this compound is an oil that is um, that is about 98% uh, CBD. And in the study where we looked at it, it's uh, uh, safety and dosing and uh, and efficacy in uh, children and young adults with with a severe childhood onset epilepsy, uh, there appeared to be uh, uh, improvement, about a, a, a 54 percent reduction in uh, um, sort of seizures with motor manifestations or countable seizures. Uh, again, with a caveat, this is this is an uncontrolled study. Uh, mm -hmm. But there seems to be a signal there, and, and uh, uh, as alluded to before, uh, double-blind uh, uh, placebo-controlled uh, studies are now in progress for both uh, Dravet syndrome and Lennox-Gastaut syndrome uh, with this uh, com this compound, this preparation. Fantastic. Uh, Oren, I know uh, Dan has mentioned uh, the ongoing trial uh, that's double-blind and controlled for this, and he mentioned also some of the effectiveness results. Can you kind of flip the other side of the coin and look and talk to us about side effects or adverse reactions that, uh, even though it's early, uh, what, are the, what are the early signs telling us about some of the problems that we may encounter with the use of this particular version of the of these compounds for epilepsy. So in our open label study and this combines information from multiple participating sites about 10 or 12 uh, by far and away the most common side effect that was seen was somnolence and fatigue. Um, a number of children uh, in the studies had some diarrhea we haven't seen too much of that, and as the concentration of the oil became more concentrated, the initial product was 25 milligrams per milliliter, and more recently, uh, for a long time, we've been using 100 milligrams per ml. I, I've seen very little of the diarrhea in the last six or nine months. Uh, Dan, I don't know if you've seen any in... Mostly in, in adults who right. have to take large volumes. Right. So it's, it's really volume-related. We think from the oil, because uh, this is an oil-soluble compound, so it has to be given in, a, in an oil. So really tiredness has been the major thing, and we have seen one drug interaction that is relevant for people taking Clobazam or Onfi. There is a active metabolite, the Nordesmethyl Clobazam metabolite, and many patients, if not most patients, who are on Clobazam, the levels of that metabolite will rise, and it's believed that uh, certainly that metabolite can lead to sedation and tiredness, side effects of Clobazam as well, but probably also some anti-seizure properties. So I think that's going to be an important thing in these double-blind studies coming up to look at the group of patients who are not on Clobazam. Which is, a, this is so always so important and helpful because I know so many people have their own ideas of what this will look like. I, I guess, you know, I'll, I'm going to give you the most commonly asked question that I think we get from our readers, that we get from our patients. If, uh, it, it, what's to stop someone from, instead of going down the road of trying to get into a trial like uh, the one that's nicely being done with your center and others, uh, to simply go out 
and just go to a medical dispensary, get cannabis. What advice do you give to your you know, to patients uh, about doing that or not doing that in as we try to learn how to place this in our therapeutic armamentarium for seizures? Uh, Dan, uh, thoughts or or Orin for that matter? I mean, I could start. I think you know the the, the main difference between uh, what you may find in dispensary uh, and what is produced, you know, by a pharmaceutical company is that one is you know that that uh, you know there's is variability. So uh, you know something that is made in dispensary uh, may you may have fluctuations in the composition of the of the cannabis with different concentrations. Uh, of CBD and THC, which might have uh, potentially harmful effects. Uh, that variation may uh, change from batch to batch as the growing conditions uh, fluctuate, uh, and that's and that's uh, different from a, a you know a compound made under a good manufacturing practice facilities, where uh, you know from batch to batch there's a consistency. I know that the patient is getting. Um, you know, uh, 25 milligrams per kilogram each time uh, they get a dose, and so um, so that is you know that is the advantage of uh, of the trial, uh, that, um, and certainly there there ha- there are issues as well um, in uh, labeling. So uh, recently, the FDA did an analysis of. Um, I think ten cannabidiol rich uh, cannabidiol products that they uh, got from the internet, uh, and they found that uh, some of them actually had no cannabidiol in it. Some of them had much less cannabidiol than they claimed on the label, and some had more. Uh, so I think uh, that is certainly something a patient would take with caution. Yeah, the other thing to add to it, you know, two things. Number one. There are certainly some pe- some groups selling pure cannabidiol over the internet, mm-hmm. and I just don't know what the reliability is from laboratory studies, as Dan mentioned. So that's one thing. Uh, hopefully they're good, but unfortunately, when the FDA did a survey, it looked terrible from the ones they they examined. The mm-hmm. second is that for the people who live in states that do have medical marijuana, very briefly, there's you know all the products you'll get that have cannabis based oils or leaves or plant material, are going to have THC and other cannabinoids to varying concentrations. And THC has been shown in adolescents to have cognitive and psychiatric side effects. Obviously, you know, many, many, many people have used it in their youth or continue to use it and tolerate it well, but its effect on young children is just not certain for THC. So I do think in principle CBD may be a safer compound. And then the other fear is just when people are doing this on their own, and I think all of us as epilepsy physicians know this, on treating any individual patient, you know, if you believe in something, and especially if you're a parent um, or a medical dispensary, you know, prescriber, they want to see things work. And if it's open label, the placebo effect and the desire to believe and this whole entourage effect, which has been written about and Dan and I have read a lot about it. it. You know, it started off as one thing in the scientific literature, and it's exploded into this mythology, essentially, of you need THC. And that had, yeah. had, it was 100 miles away from what Ben Shabbat and Meshulam wrote about when they, when they coined the term entourage effect. Isn't that the, 
the, the truth when it comes to, to truly a snowball effect when it's come to this. Well, we're at our last minute or so, uh, and I want to make sure that I give each of you a chance to at least offer uh, any type of take-home message. It's a fantastic uh, review article, maybe something that's in there that we haven't discussed. But what um, uh, what take-home message uh, do you have uh, as as uh, you know people who may uh, tune into this uh, that they kind of uh, digest, if you will? Uh, in terms of uh, the current state of the art when it comes to this compound. And, and Orrin, I'll start with you. What, what take-home message do you want to make sure that we send out? I think the thing I would leave for both patients, parents, and physicians is that there's a lot of promise here, but the single most important thing for all of us is to be humble until we've seen good scientific evidence And keep in mind, once we've seen good scientific evidence, as we get more good scientific evidence, it sometimes conflicts with the original. So we just need to be very humble and open-minded as we move forward. But, you know, I'm positive, and we're both spending a lot of time in this because we believe there's potential. Fantastic. And Dan? I mean, I think that the thing that I would add is, you know, certainly we interact with a lot of uh, families where they're, they're running out of options, where they've tried... You know, uh, you know, every commercially available anti-seizure medication, you know, uh, uh, surgery, VNS, and and uh, you know, I you know, I think that you know, certainly in the in the absence of great evidence, uh, you know, I, I don't I don't discourage these these patients from seeking out uh, can, uh, cannabinoid-based products, but I think that. Uh, that should be done in conjunction with their epilepsy doctors. So we could monitor uh, safety, we could monitor drug interactions, and we could learn. We, you know, uh, that that this is, you know, that, that their experience is a shared con- uh, contribution to the general understanding of these compounds for the treatment of epilepsy. Well, I, I want to thank you both again for for joining us. I hope that when the trial is complete, we have results. You can uh, I can count on you both to kind of come back and explain those results uh, to us in the future. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. If, uh, it's it's wonderful to have you both. We've been talking to doctors Oren Davinsky and Dr. Daniel Friedman. Uh, they have uh, been discussing uh, the recent review article in the New England Journal of Medicine, September 10th issue. If you want to catch it, cannabinoids. Uh, and their role in epilepsy, in the treatment of epilepsy, excuse me. Uh, As always, this is a a fascinating and an evolving topic. Uh, I hope to everyone out there that you enjoyed and got what you needed out of this podcast. And if you come again, view any part of epilepsy.com or check us out on Hallway Conversations for future podcast episodes. This is Dr. Joe Servan, Editor-in-Chief of Epilepsy.com. I hope you have a fantastic day. Thanks.